0: Hi, this is Puritan's Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode three of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. Number three, I could not find out what faith was or what it was to believe and come to Christ. I read the calls of Christ to the weary and heavy-laden, but could find no way in which he directed them to come. I thought I would gladly come, if I knew how, though the path of duty were never so difficult. I read Stoddard's Guide to Christ, which I trust was, in the hand of God, the happy means of my conversion, and my heart rose against the author for though he told me my very heart all along under convictions and seemed to be very beneficial to me in his directions yet here he seemed to me to fail he did not tell me anything i could do that would bring me to christ but left me as it were with a great gulf between me and christ without any direction How to get through. For I was not yet effectually and experimentally taught that there could be no way prescribed whereby a natural man could, of his own strength, obtain that which is supernatural and which the highest angel cannot give. Number four, another point was the sovereignty of God. I could not bear that it should be wholly at God's pleasure to save or damn me, just as he would. That passage, Romans 9, 11 through 23, was a constant vexation to me, especially verse 21. Reading or meditating on this always destroyed my seeming good frame. For when I thought I was almost humbled and almost resigned, this passage would make my enmity against God appear. When I came to reflect on the inward enmity and blasphemy which arose on this occasion, I was the more afraid of God and driven further from any hopes of reconciliation with him. It gave me a dreadful view of myself. I dreaded more than ever to see myself in God's hands, and it made me more opposite than ever to submit to his sovereignty, for I thought he designed my damnation. All this time, the Spirit of God was powerfully at work with me, and I was inwardly pressed to relinquish all self-confidence all hope of ever helping myself by any means whatsoever. The conviction of my lost estate was sometimes so clear and manifest before my eyes that it was as if it had been declared to me in so many words. It is done, it is done, it is forever impossible to deliver yourself. For about three or four days... My soul was thus greatly distressed. At some turns, for a few moments, I seemed to myself lost and undone, but then would shrink back immediately from the sight because I dared not venture myself into the hands of God as wholly helpless and at the disposal of his sovereign pleasure. I dared not see that important truth concerning myself that I was dead in trespasses and sins. But when I had, as it were, thrust away these views of myself at any time, I felt distressed to have the same discoveries of myself again, for I greatly feared being given over of God to final stupidity. When I thought of putting it off to a more convenient season, the conviction was so close and powerful that the present time was the best and probably the only time that I dared not put it off. It was the sight of truth concerning myself, truth respecting my state as a creature fallen and alienated from God and that consequently could make no demands on God for mercy, but was at his absolute disposal from which my soul shrank away, in which I trembled to think of beholding thus he that doeth evil as all unregenerate men continually do hates the light of truth, neither cares to come to it because it will reprove his deeds and show him his just deserts John three twenty some time before I had taken much pains as I thought, to submit to the sovereignty of God. Yet, I mistook the thing and did not once imagine that seeing and being made experimentally sensible of this truth, which my soul now so much dreaded and trembled at, was the frame of soul which I had so earnestly desired. I had ever hoped that when I had attained to that humiliation which I supposed necessary to precede faith that it would not be fair for God to cast me off. But now I saw it was so far from any goodness in me to own myself spiritually dead and destitute of all goodness that on the contrary, my mouth would be forever stopped by it and it looked as dreadful to me To see myself and the relation I stood in to God, I a sinner and criminal, and He a great judge and sovereign, as it would be to a poor trembling creature to venture off some high precipice. Here, hence, I put it off for a minute or two and tried for better circumstances to do it in. Either I must read a passage or to or pray first or something of the like nature, or else put off my submission to God with an objection that I did not know how to submit. But the truth was, I could see no safety in owning myself in the hands of a sovereign God and could lay no claim to anything better than damnation. After a considerable time spent in similar exercises and distress, one morning, while I was walking in a solitary place, as usual, I at once saw that all my contrivances and projects to effect or procure deliverance and salvation for myself were utterly in vain. I was brought quite to a stand as finding myself totally lost. I had thought many times before that the difficulties in my way were very great, but now I saw in another and very different light that it was forever impossible for me to do anything toward helping or delivering myself. I then thought of blaming myself that I had not done more and been more engaged while I had opportunity, for it seemed now as if the season of doing was forever over and gone. But I instantly saw that let me have done what I could, it would no more have tended to my helping myself than what I had done, that I had made all the pleas I ever could have made to all eternity, and that all my pleas were vain. The tumult that had been before in my mind was now quieted. And I was somewhat eased of that distress, which I felt while struggling against a sight of myself and of the divine sovereignty. I had the greatest certainty that my state was forever miserable for all that I could do and wondered that I had never been sensible of it before. While I remained in this state, my notions respecting my duties were quite different from what I had ever entertained in times past. Before this, the more I did in duty, the more hard I thought it would be for God to cast me off. Though at the same time I confessed and thought I saw that there was no goodness or merit in my duties, but now, the more I did in prayer or any other duty— the more I saw that I was indebted to God for allowing me to ask for mercy, for I saw that self-interest had led me to pray and that I had never once prayed from any respect to the glory of God. Now I saw that there was no necessary connection between my prayers and the bestowment of divine mercy that they laid not the least obligation upon God to bestow his grace to me, and that there was no more virtue or goodness in them than there would be in my paddling with my hand in the water, which was the comparison I had then in my mind, and this because they were not performed from any love or regard to God. I saw that I had been heaping up my devotions before God, fasting, praying, etc., pretending, and indeed really thinking sometimes that I was aiming at the glory of God, whereas I never once truly intended it, but only my own happiness. I saw that as I had never done anything for God, I had no claim on anything from Him but perdition on account of my hypocrisy and mockery. Oh, how different did my duties now appear from what they used to do. I used to charge them with sin and imperfection, but that was only on account of the wandering and vain thoughts attending them, and not because I had no regard to God in them. For this I thought I had. But when I saw evidently that I had had regard to nothing but self-interest, then they appeared a vile mockery of God, self-worship, and a continued course of lies. I saw that something worse had attended my duties than barely a few wanderings, for the whole was nothing but self-worship and a horrid abuse of God. I continued as I remember in this state of mind from Friday morning till the Sabbath evening following, July 12th, 1739, when I was walking again in the same solitary place where I was brought to see myself lost and helpless, as before mentioned. Here in a mournful, melancholy state, I was attempting to pray, but found no heart to engage in prayer or any other duty. My former concern, exercise, and religious affections were now gone. I thought that the spirit of God had quite left me, but still was not distressed yet disconsolate as if there was nothing in heaven or earth could make me happy. Having been thus endeavoring to pray, though, as I thought, very stupid and senseless for nearly half an hour. Then, as I was walking in a dark, thick grove, unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. I do not mean any external brightness, for I saw no such thing, nor do I intend any imagination of a body of light somewhere in the third heavens or anything of that nature. But it was a new, inward apprehension or view that I had of God, such as I never had before, nor anything which had the least resemblance of it. I stood still, wondered, admired. I knew that I never had seen before anything comparable to it for excellency and beauty. It was widely different from all the conceptions that ever I had of God or things divine. I had no particular apprehension of any one person in the Trinity, either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Ghost, but it appeared to be divine glory that I then beheld my soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious divine being. And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all forever and ever. My soul was so captivated and delighted with the excellency, loveliness, greatness, and other perfections of God, that I was even swallowed up in him, at least to that degree that I had no thought, as I remember at first, about my own salvation, and scarce reflected that there was such a creature as myself. This concludes episode three of Jonathan Edwards' the life of David Brainerd.